Well, friends, uh, today's a great day. We are, uh, we're really excited again to be together as a church family, even if it's here in the church parking lot. Uh, as we talked about last week, today is just one more stepping stone to us ultimately regathering here in our church facilities together. And uh, we are so excited. You may have seen uh, this past week the email we sent out with our regathering plan for Sunday, June 14th next week. Uh, and in that email, I mentioned, you know, we got to practice patience and flexibility and grace towards one another during this season because uh, things are changing rapidly. Well, of course, uh, just a few hours after I sent that email, uh, the governor came out and even further loosened some of our uh, state's restrictions, going from a 25% capacity to a 50% capacity. So we're, we're going to be adjusting along the way. But the good news is, is that things are changing. Uh, our society is gradually reopening, and uh, we're going to be able to have much more freedom and flexibility as a church family to gather together and worship. So I hope you're really excited about that. I can't wait to, to have our church family back together again. So starting next Sunday morning, we're going to be right over here inside the church gymnasium, and uh, we're going to be in there for a, a few weeks here through the summer as we continue our renovation plans uh, over here in our church sanctuary. Uh, by the way, some exciting things are going on in terms of our renovation. Uh, I really uh, I can't wait for you guys to see all that's been uh, happening over there. And uh, we're going to share more about that with you this evening at our congregational meeting. But again, next Sunday, June 14th, we're going to be over here in the church gymnasium. We are going to ask you to register to attend one of our two services, the 9 o'clock or the 11 o'clock service. Uh, that's going to help us know uh, how many numbers to plan for, how to make sure that, that we can uh, attain a, a safe environment to the best of our abilities. So uh, we're going to have two services at 9 and 11. You can register for those online at lakesfree.org as soon as today. That registration is already open, and uh, those spaces are already filling. So please make sure to register to come to one of those two services. And uh, we're going to have a great time together as we come back as a family to worship the Lord. So uh, be excited about that. Be encouraged. Good things are taking place. I also want to rem uh, remind you again, and I mentioned it a, a moment ago, Tonight at 6 p.m., we're going to be having our semi-annual business meeting here in the church parking lot. So we're going to invite you back. If you'd like to hear uh, updates and ministry reports, uh, we're going to share more of that with you tonight at 6 p.m. The meeting will last about an hour. It'll consist of our pastors and ministry team members sharing updates and reports. We're going to give you a budget update where we are as a church today financially. We're going to give you some updates on our renovation project and all the exciting things that are happening there. So, uh, so again, join us tonight. Uh, if you're a member here at Lakes Free, we especially want to encourage you to attend. But again, this is available to anybody who's interested and considers them a part of our church family. Uh, we want you to come and join us tonight here at 6 o'clock. So we'll be right back out here, same spots, and uh, should, have a, should be a good time together. Well, I'm going to invite you to join me in a word of prayer right now. We're going to ask God's blessing as we begin our new sermon series for this summer, looking at the life of Joseph, one of the great stories in the Bible. And uh, I'm going to invite you to uh, pray with me, and let's open our hearts and ask the Lord to bless us as we go to his word here this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be together as a church family. And again, Lord, we thank you for holding off the rain so that we could be outside together. Uh, help us now, Lord, as we turn to your word once again. 
and uh, open our hearts, open our eyes, and, and uh, illuminate your truth for us today as we look at this great story, the story of Joseph. And uh, help me, Lord, to communicate this, uh, this message faithfully and clearly. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, help all of us to humble ourselves as we come to your word and to uh, be open to hearing your instruction and guidance for our lives here. Lord, we also want to pray for our nation and our state today. Uh, We are living in very difficult times in so many ways. And uh, so, Lord, we just want to lift up our world, our nation, especially to you. We pray for peace to rule and reign in our society, Lord. We pray for justice to to be done. We pray for uh, the people in our nation and our state to have a spirit of unity and forgiveness and grace. And uh, Lord, more than anything, we know that our world needs Jesus. Uh, We need you, Lord. And so I pray, God, that our church, Lakes Free, and, and the many other churches in our nation and state would stand boldly as uh, your instruments of truth and righteousness and justice and love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, Lord. Help your church here in our nation to lead the way. And uh, God, I pray that more and more people would come to see that our hope is not in politics. It's not in, in social activism. Our, our true hope is in Jesus and the heart change that is found in him. And so, God, let us display that as your people and let us champion that in our lives and in the words we share. Help us to model that faithfully, Lord. And so uh, we just, again, God, we lift all of these pray- prayers and concerns to you and, uh, and ask that your will would be done, God. Thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege of being your people here in this world. You've given us your word to lead us and guide us. And now, God, again, as we turn to your word, humble us before your word, Lord. Open our hearts to what you have to share with us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I'm really excited for this new series that we're going to be in together this summer, looking at the life of Joseph. Uh, This is one of the greatest stories ever told. Uh, And that's no exaggeration. Uh, it's not only Jewish and Christian scholars who say that, but even, even secular scholars of literature will highlight the story of Joseph as one of the, the most remarkable stories uh, ever, ever told. And, and what's especially incredible about this story is that it's a true story. This is a true story of how God has faithfully been at work throughout history to prepare the world for the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting, uh, here in Minnesota, we have a joke where we talk about there being two seasons, winter and road construction. Well, I would, uh, I would like to add to that road construction piece uh, one other suggestion for our summertime. Uh, I've noticed uh, more and more in the last couple of weeks an abundance of ants. I don't know about you. How many of you have recognized the, the ants coming out once again? Uh, we found them, uh, we found them uh, finding their ways into our houses, uh, making new ant hills on my driveway at home. And uh, it seems like every summer the ants come out in abundance. Just a couple days ago, I was driving into my, uh, into my driveway. And uh, after pulling into my garage, I went down to my driveway and I noticed that I had run over uh, an ant hill. And uh, there were all these ants scurrying around uh, frantically as I had just uh, destroyed their their house, their home. And uh, as I looked at that scene of these ants scurrying around there on my driveway, I was reminded uh, of a story my dad used to share. 
Uh, my dad was a Christian apologist and an evangelist. In fact, yesterday uh, would have been his 70th birthday. And so I was uh, thinking about this, especially yesterday as I was preparing for my sermon. One of my dad's favorite stories that he shared all around the world was uh, a story I've actually shared here at Lakes Free before. It's the story of a father and a son who were walking along a dirt path. And they came across an anthill that somebody had stepped on and smashed. Similar to that anthill that I had driven across in my driveway the other day. And as this father and son looked at this anthill, this little boy recognized these ants that were, uh, you know, some of them had been crushed, some of them were wounded. Ants were scurrying all around the trail trying to take care of their their wounded neighbors and, and rebuild their home. And, and this little boy, this little boy with his dad, he looked up at his father and he said to his father, Daddy, wouldn't it be great if we could go down and tell those ants how much we love them? Tell those ants how much we care about them and, and, and help those ants with, with their sick and their wounded and, and rebuild their home. Wouldn't that be great, Daddy? And this father, he looked down at his son full of love and compassion. And he said to his little boy, he said, Son, the only way we could go down and tell those ants we love them, tell those ants that we care about them and and help them with their sick and their wounded is if we ourselves could become ants. If if, if we could become ants and and go and live with the ants and, and talk to the ants, then by our lives, they would know what we are like. They would know how much we love them and care about them. And you know, friends, it's very interesting. 2,000 years ago, our Heavenly Father looked down upon a world that He had created, a world that He loved. He he saw a world scurrying around in desperation. He he saw a world full of broken and and wounded people. He, He saw a world embroiled in, in sickness and despair and, and, and all of the turmoils that are common to humanity throughout the ages. And God, in his great love, said, I want to tell you how much I love you. How would he do that? God said, I will become a man. And I will live like a man. And I will talk like a man. And by my life, you will know what I'm like. And so 2,000 years ago, in the greatest event that ever took place in the history of the world, God broke into human history. God took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, and he came and he lived among us so that we could know who God is, so that we could know what God is like, so that we could know how we too can come into a life-saving relationship with him and experience his healing and, and wholeness in our own lives. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, says that when the time had fully come, when the time had fully come, in the fullness of time, God sent his Son into the world so that we could know him. In the fullness of time. Friends, when you think about those words, when the time had fully come, What that implies is that God had a plan. God had orchestrated a a plan and a process by which he was preparing the world for the arrival of his son, Jesus Christ. There was a schedule that God was keeping up until the time 
was right for the Messiah to be revealed. Paul says it was in the fullness of time. When the time had fully come, God sent forth his son. And I share this with us this morning because as we look at the story of Joseph this summer, we need to recognize that the story of Joseph is part of the fullness of time that God had been unfolding in preparation for the arrival of his Messiah. The events that we're going to read about in the coming weeks from the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, the story of Joseph, is a part, a link in the chain of the events in history that God was using to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand the context in which our story fits. Joseph is very much a part of God's grand narrative in his plan of salvation for the world. I love the story of Joseph. Ever since I was a little boy, I'm sure many of us are familiar with some of the great scenes that we find in the story of the life of Joseph. Uh, Most notably, probably Joseph's coat of many colors. I I couldn't find a coat of many colors today, but as you can see, I've got a podium of many colors uh, in honor of Joseph and his great story and some of the great scenes that we're going to look at together this summer. The story of Joseph is a story that literally reads like a primetime special. I mean, you couldn't write a dialogue, a script more more, uh, engrossing than the story of the life of Joseph. It's the longest narrative in the book of Genesis. And in the story of Joseph, this this gripping story, we see the continuation of God's work in the line of the patriarchs, those, those forefathers of our faith that would give rise to the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. You may remember in Old Testament history, back in Genesis chapter 12, God appeared to Abraham. And, and told Abraham in Genesis 12 in a covenant with Abraham that Abraham would become the father of a great people, of a great nation. And that through Abraham's lineage, all the peoples of the world would be blessed. Well, Abraham then went on and, and Abraham, one of his sons, was named Isaac. And Isaac became the, the continuation of God's unfolding plan for the preparation of the world for the coming of the Messiah. Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob then became the next link in the chain of God's plan, of his unfolding plans for salvation in our world. Jacob, his name would be changed by God to Israel. Have you ever wondered where the name Israel came from? That was God's name for Jacob, the third in the line of the patriarchs. Jacob had 12 sons. The 12 sons of Jacob would go on to become the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of Jacob's 12 sons was a boy named Joseph. And this is where we find our story pick up this morning. Joseph, one of Jacob's 12 sons, one of these sons who would become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Joseph's story is a central part of God's plans for the nation of Israel and ultimately the salvation of the world. As we're going to see over the course of the summer, God used Joseph in an incredible way. Joseph was used by God to preserve God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, to to save them, to protect them, to preserve them, and, and to ultimately lead to their deliverance 
and restoration back into the promised land, the land of Israel. This was all a part of God's plan. In fact, shortly after God had initiated this covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, three chapters later in Genesis 15, God actually prophesied to Abraham that your descendants would become slaves and experience oppression and affliction in a foreign land for 400 years. But after that 400 years were up, those people would be delivered and brought back to the promised land. So so God had ordained these events to take place even well before the time of Joseph. And now in the story of Joseph, we're going to see the fulfillment of all of these things. The chosen people, the nation of Israel being sent off into a foreign land. We're going to look at this this summer. We're going to see how God orchestrated all of these events and then ultimately brought about their restoration through this boy, Joseph, that God had a special plan and purpose for. But it's interesting, friends, as we're going to see this summer, the story of Joseph is not just a story of God's preservation of the land of Israel, the nation of Israel. It's also a story about a people from whom would come our Savior, the Savior of the whole world, Jesus Christ when the fullness of time had come. So again, all of this context is really important for us to recognize as we go through our narrative in Genesis chapters 37 through 50 this summer. One of my favorite uh, things about the story of Joseph, one of the most interesting things that I find in the story of Joseph is that it is a story that is completely devoid of miracles. Have you ever thought about that, friends? The story of Joseph. There's no, there's no suspension of natural law anywhere in Joseph's story. There's no walking on water. There's no blind receiving their sight. There's no lions whose mouths are shut. There's no miraculous suspension of the natural laws anywhere in the story of Joseph. But at the same time, God's hand is all over this story. God was at work all over in the life of Joseph. The story of Joseph, while, while not containing any miraculous episodes, is actually a story about a sovereign God who was divinely orchestrating his will and plan for his people. And really, for the entire world, through everyday circumstances and everyday activities, of ordinary human beings. It, this is a story of God at work through average ordinary people and the everyday events of their lives. We're, we're going to see in our story this summer a, a family of shepherds, a caravan of slave traders, an adulterous wife, prisoners in a jail, government officials, all different kinds of people from all different backgrounds and statuses, and yet all of these people were used by God as part of his unfolding plan of salvation for the nation of Israel and for the world. One of the things that most interests me about the story of Joseph that we're going to see together is, is really a, a mysterious interplay between our human freedom and moral responsibility and God's sovereign will and ordination of all things. Friends, did you know that both of those are realities? Both of those things are realities, and they're not actually mutually exclusive. We as human beings 
are free. We have free will. We have a moral responsibility based on the choices that we make in this life. But at the same time, we also have a God who is sovereign and ordains all things that transpire in this world. Now, again, those two things are mysterious, how they work together, but they're real. They're true. And we know this because this is what Scripture reveals to us. People sometimes ask me, well, Jason, do you, do you believe in free will or in, in predestination? And, and I answer that question both. Both, absolutely. Why? Because this is what God's Word reveals to us. Both of those things are realities. I, I, I once had a seminary professor who described our human freedom and moral responsibility and God's sovereign will and ordination of all things as two chains ascending into the heavens. And from our finite human vantage point, we see these two chains that look like two separate individual chains, free will and God's sovereignty. But what we can't see from our finite, limited vantage point is that as these chains ascend into the heavens, they actually link and become one. They're one and the same chain linked together in the perfect nature and character of God. And so in the story of Joseph, we're going to see both our human freedom and responsibility for our acts along with God's sovereign will and ordination of all things. And again, there's a mystery in this, friends. This is a mysterious reality. But it's a reality that God shares and reveals to us in Scripture. And we're going to see this clearly in the life of Joseph. In fact, as we come to the, to the end of Joseph's story, in, Joseph, uh, in Joseph's story in chapter 45 of the book of Genesis, after Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt, after all of the incredible events in his life transpire where Joseph becomes the savior of the nation of Israel, Joseph actually is going to reveal to his brothers who had sold him into slavery that it wasn't them who sent him to Egypt, but it was God. So again, we're going to see over and over again God working through the actions of human beings, average ordinary human beings, their freely chosen actions in order to accomplish his perfect will and his plans of salvation. Now this morning, we're going to begin looking at Joseph's story, chapter 1 of Joseph's story. It's found in Genesis chapter 37. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to open them up. We're going to read this together this morning. This is going to be an interesting series. We're not necessarily going to read word for word every portion of Genesis 37 through 50 together this summer. But today in particular, as we begin, I want to highlight for us some of the uh, important aspects of how Joseph's story uh, starts out here in chapter 37. We're going to look at three scenes this morning from Joseph's story. Three scenes, and then I want to highlight for us today three points of application that I want us to be watching for this summer as we go through the story of the life of Joseph. So this morning we're going to make three scenes, and I want to share three points of application. So we're in Genesis chapter 37 this morning, and I'm going to make some comments as we go on each of these three scenes. I'm going to do my best here with the wind. It's kind of, kind of crazy up here today, a little bit different than our typical uh, preaching environment. 
The first scene that we're going to find as we open up to Genesis chapter 37 is we're going to find a father's favorite. A father's favorite. This is found in Genesis 37 verses 1 through 4, the opening scene of the story of Joseph. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now, friends, right at the outset here of Joseph's story, right here in the very first scene, we discover that this is going to be a story of sin and redemption. We're going to see here in this story that even at the outset, this is a story of how God was at work in, in, a, in the midst of a family filled with dysfunction and, and sinful individuals in order to accomplish his will and plans for our lives. I, I've got a friend who's a pastor at a church in Michigan, and at their church they have, a, they have a tagline that they like to use. It goes like this, it's okay to not be okay but it's not okay to stay that way. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And what they, what they mean by that statement is they encourage everybody to come to their church, come as you are. Come with your brokenness, come with your hurts, come with your sin. Come as you are. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. In other words, God wants to do a work of transformation in all of our lives. When we humble ourselves before the Lord and open ourselves to the work of his spirit in our lives, we should see transformation take place within us. And so while it's okay to not be okay, it's not okay to stay that way if you're truly walking with the Lord and experiencing his power in our lives. Now, we're going to see this reality very clearly here in the story of Jacob and his 12 sons. We're going to see the reality of a, of a people who were clearly not okay. This, this, this was a dysfunctional family. And in the story of Joseph and, and his father Jacob and his 12 sons, we're going to see how God used a, a very broken family. In fact, carrying on the tradition and the line of the patriarchs, going back to Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of these individuals who were great heroes of the faith had brokenness in their lives and in their relationships. These were fallen, sinful people. But what we see in the story of the patriarchs is God using these people and their lives for his glory, for his purposes. We see God taking average, ordinary, sinful human beings and seeing them increasingly grow in submission to the Lord, walking by faith and God's increasing blessings in their lives as they pursue him faithfully. And so, friends, this is a great encouragement for us as we look at the story of Joseph, recognizing that, that God uses average, ordinary people, sinful people, as his instruments in this world. 
And, and we're going to see this very clearly here in the story of Joseph. Here in verses 1 through 4, our story opens up with, with a father who has sons through multiple wives. We see brothers who are embittered against Joseph. We, we see Jacob's favoritism of Joseph in, 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 in both word and deed. The, the giving of this coat of many colors, uh, a symbol of authority over his brothers. We, we see here the, the hatred of Joseph by his brothers. And friends, just based on how this story begins, you, you might you know think and wonder, how is God ever going to do anything with this family? I mean, how is God ever going to accomplish anything in the midst of all of this mess and dysfunction? I mean, where is God in all of this? And friends, as we're going to see, God was right in the midst of it all. God was right there in the midst of this messed up, broken, sinful family. Not only was he there, but as we're going to see here in a moment, God was actually adding fuel to the fire. God was taking the the hatred of Joseph's brothers and, and pouring gasoline on it, igniting it to even heightened levels. Why? Because God had a plan. God was at work behind the scenes. Let's look at our second episode, our second scene here in Genesis chapter 37. It's found in verses 5 through 28. Here in scene 2, we see a family feuding. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have had. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said, but, sorry, I'm, I lost my place with one. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow down ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now Joseph went to pasture their father. Now, now, now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are your brothers not pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what, we, what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And, and Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, so that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. 
So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. So here in this second scene of our story, here in the second scene of the story, friends, we need to understand what God is, is doing here, what's happening here. Through the means of divine revelation, through these two dreams that Joseph has, dreams where God tells Joseph that one day he would basically be ruling and reigning over his family, his brothers and his father and his mother would bow down before him. Through these dreams, Joseph's brother's hatred for him just increases all the more. God is using divine revelation given to Joseph and Joseph's report of his divine revelation to literally seal Joseph's fate. God was sealing Joseph's fate by assuring his brother's hatred and rejection of him. See, the brothers were responsible. They were making the decision and choices, but God was orchestrating all of these events behind the scenes. Theologian Walter Brueggemann commenting on this story. He says this, let me quote, the main character in the drama is Yahweh. Without the dreams, there would be no Joseph and no narrative. From the perspective of the brothers, without the dreams, there would be no trouble or conflict. For the father, without the dreams, there would be no grief or loss. And in the end, the dreams prevail over the tensions of the family. See, friends, make no mistake. Were the brothers guilty of hatred and treachery? Absolutely. But was any of this outside of God's sovereign will and plan? Not one bit. Not one bit. God was in control the whole way. In fact, as we're going to see in the coming weeks, God was orchestrating an amazing work of grace through all of these events, including the evil actions of Joseph's brothers. And now we come to scene three of our story this morning. Scene three, a future foggy, found in verses 29 through 36. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone. Where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This is what we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol with my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. If you were creating a pilot for a new TV series, 
You couldn't write a much better cliffhanger than this. Joseph has been sold into slavery in Egypt. His father thinks he's been torn to pieces. This family appears to have been torn to pieces by this devastating act of treachery. Joseph is now in Egypt sold as a slave to Potiphar, an official in the court of Pharaoh. As we come to the end of chapter 37, by all outward appearances, this family looks as if they've been torn to pieces. But friends, from God's vantage point, from God's sovereign perspective, his plan of salvation was right on schedule. You see, the one who would ultimately deliver Israel through the upcoming season of a severe famine in the Middle East, the one who would deliver God's people was now in place. God was orchestrating these events behind the scenes to accomplish his will and plan, not only for the nation of Israel, but his will and plan of salvation for the whole world. Just as we saw in Galatians 4, 4 through 5, when the fullness of time had come. This is part of God's plan in the fullness of time. Now, friends, as we wrap up this morning, I want to just share with you three points of application that I want us to be watching for this summer as we go through the story of Joseph. Three pieces of application that we're going to see that we can apply to our lives as we read the story of Joseph and his family. Application number one I want you to be watching for is this. As a type of Christ, Joseph points us to the greater Christ. In the life of Joseph, we're going to see God foreshadowing for his people a vision of their true Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, it's really remarkable when you begin to consider the similarities between Joseph's story and Jesus. I mean, just think about what we've seen just this morning to begin with. A beloved son sent by his father to find his wayward brothers. A a beloved son's rejection by those he went searching for. Sold for a handful of silver coins. And throughout all of this, he becomes their ruler, their savior, and the savior of the world. It's absolutely astounding when we see the parallels between the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus Christ. These are just a few of the many incredible ways we're going to see Joseph pointing us to Jesus Christ. In fact, an author by the name of Arthur Pink wrote a book called Gleanings in Genesis in which he highlights 101, 101 parallels between Joseph and Jesus Christ. Now, friends, why do I share this? Because I want you, this summer, I want to encourage you as we study the story of Joseph, I want you to see yourself in the story. And specifically, I want you to see yourself in Joseph's brothers. Now, you might be thinking, I I don't want to be seen as one of Joseph's brothers. I mean, I don't want to be one of these treacherous, hate-filled brothers. I I want to be like Joseph, Jason. You don't get to be like Joseph, people. That's not what it's about. We're the brothers. We're the brothers. We're the brothers filled with sin and hatred and treachery in our hearts. And so we need to see ourselves in Joseph's brothers. We need to recognize our own depravity. We need to understand the desperate situation we find ourselves in. 
We, we need to flee to Jesus and ultimately humble ourselves before him in order to experience his salvation. So as we study the story of Joseph this summer, friends, recognize that it is a story that points us to Jesus. We're the brothers. Jesus, Joseph is a type of Jesus pointing us to our true Savior. The second application I want you to watch for this summer in our series Number two, as a model of faith and faithfulness, Joseph instructs us in godly living. Now, in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the Bible's Hall of Fame of Faith. And friends, there's a reason why Joseph is included in that illustrious list. You see, Joseph is an exceptional model of faith. And we're going to see this throughout his story. Joseph never once wavered in his confidence in God's promises. Joseph trusted absolutely in God's divine revelation. God had given Joseph these dreams, promising him that one day he would be the ruler over his family. Now, Joseph, as a 17-year-old boy, could have never understood what those dreams meant. But he knew they had come from God. And he trusted God's promises. And he held fast to those promises, walking by faith. And so, friends, I want us to be encouraged in this. While Joseph had dreams, we have God's word. And we, too, can hold fast to the promises God has given us in his word. And we, too, like Joseph, can walk by faith every day, holding fast to the promises that God has given us. We also see in Joseph's life a great model of faithfulness. In fact, one of the greatest models of faithfulness in all Scripture. Joseph lived to honor God above all else. Whether in the pasture, the pit, the prison, or the palace, Joseph lived for Yahweh above all else. He never once compromised his obedience to the Lord. And as a result, we're going to see Joseph never once lost God's blessing in his life. And again, this should be a great encouragement to us today, friends. When we walk in faithfulness, in obedience to God, God honors that obedience. He blesses his people. He puts his hand of blessing on our lives. And as we've talked about so many times, leads us into an experience of life and life to the full. It's found only in walking in obedience with the Lord. So watch for those themes of faith and faithfulness this summer. Lastly, as an illustration of benevolent providence, Joseph helps us trust in God's sovereign will. Friends, God has a will and plan for all of our lives. Every single one of you out there this morning, God has a plan and a purpose that he has already ordained for each of us. Romans 8.28 says that we know in all things God is at work for the good of those who love him. In all things, friends, God is at work. He's at work in your life today, friends. He's at work whether we see his actions or not, whether we understand and discern his actions or not. I want you to think this morning about your life like Joseph's coat of many colors. I want you to envision your life this morning like like Joseph's coat of many colors. You see, friends, oftentimes we only see a single thread. We look at our lives and we just see a, a single strand Sometimes we look at our lives and we see the the tangled mess of the stitching. And it doesn't make any sense from our vantage point. 
Sometimes we look at the cloth of our lives and we see it full of blood and torn to pieces and we wonder how is God at work in any of this? But friends, just like Joseph's coat of many colors, God sees the garment of your life from his heavenly vantage point. God knows each and every thread of your life. He knows what the tangled mess of the stitching is all about. He knows those seasons where we go through bloodied and bruised and torn to pieces. God knows what he is doing. And in his sovereign will, he has a perfect plan in place for each and every one of us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Friends, no matter what you see in your life today, you can be confident that God is weaving his coat of many colors over your life. He is orchestrating his good and perfect plan for all those who love him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your hearts. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. We're going to see the reality of that promise all summer here in the life of Joseph. God at work, sovereignly orchestrating and unfolding his will and plan through the means of average, ordinary, everyday people. It's a great story, friends, to encourage us, to keep us looking to the Lord, to holding fast to him in confidence, knowing that he is good and faithful, that his plans are never thwarted, he always prevails, and that nothing comes into our lives by accident. Joseph's faithfulness can serve as an encouragement and inspiration to each and every one of us. And so that's my prayer for us this summer as we look together at this great series. I'm going to invite you to join with me in a word of prayer as we close our service this morning. Again, friends, I want to thank you for joining us. I want to remind you to come back tonight at 6 p.m. for our business meeting. And then next Sunday, get yourself registered, 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. We're going to be inside the church gymnasium. It's going to be a great time coming back together to worship here in our church. I hope you're excited about it, and I look forward to a great summer together. Let's close our time in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this great time together, for, for the time of worship, for our celebration of our senior class graduates, for the opportunity to begin this new series looking at the life of Joseph. Thank you, God, for your word, for the encouragements and truth that we find in it. And Lord, I pray that Joseph's story would serve as an inspiration for all of us this summer, pointing us to you, our true Savior, helping us learn to walk more in faith and faithfulness just like Joseph. Lord, helping us to see your sovereign will and plans for all of our lives and, and to trust you more fully. God, we thank you for your word and all that we can learn and grow through it. We praise your name, Jesus. I pray your blessings over my friends and our church this week. And we look forward, God, with great anticipation to coming back together to worship you next Sunday here in our church facilities. You've been so good to us, God. You are faithful and you are good and we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, have a blessed week. Go in God's peace and go in the excitement knowing that we're going to be worshiping together again very soon. I love you and God bless you. Thank you.